if you're really honest on social media, even if it's not controversial, but you just start talking about your insecurities, unfortunately, people are just gonna walk away. You know, you start talking to, and I don't mean insecurities, some would be popular, right? So if you said, I don't like the president for this, people would be like, oh, jump on board. But I mean, just like, I get sad a lot. You know, I, I've suffered with depression my whole life. And uh, those kind of things aren't as, uh, as fun. <laughs> and you know, you don't wanna lose that. You don't wanna, yeah. you know what's, another thing I think that's really hard. It's how you put it too, though, when you're like, I get sad a lot. Yeah, <laughs> like, I mean, you that's just posted yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. You're like, what's hey, wrong with you, man? Yeah. You I get right? sad a lot. Like, 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 love, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> right. You know like, I don't think people would take you seriously. Yeah, well, that's the thing just, too, right? That's, and that's, that's sad. That, yeah, that, that's fine. how people would Well, first off, I'm not allowed that. to get sad. This guy's not allowed to get sad. Because <laughs> right. Anyway, so I, I battled depression since I was a kid. So there were things that didn't cause me to be sad that just kind of really made me, I, I mean, the best way I could describe depression is that uh, sadness is from something, right? So a friend of yours dies or, you know, you, you had a bad day. That's, that's sadness. That's everyone. Everyone has that. You know, you get kicked in the leg, it's going to hurt. That's reactionary. What depression is, is that it's just this thing in the back of your head that you're just, your neutral is unhappy. And that's me. That's been me since I was a kid. I went to a therapist for you know, 16 years, and he, he taught me some coping mechanisms. It's mostly what you'd see on Facebook. Um, and, uh, but, but my neutral place is things are terrible. Why were you born? You know, my doctor thought I had leukemia for six years, thought I was going to die. My blood cell counts were low, and I was already a depressed guy. He couldn't figure out why I wasn't dying, so I started running, even though my body wanted me not to run because I had this low white blood cell count that they never figured out. So I always thought I had cancer for, for like six years. Finally, my doctor says to me, he says, and I was already a depressed guy. He goes, he goes, you don't have leukemia, we don't think. And I go, why? And he goes, because you're not dead. And, uh, and he, he was, it was brutal, because to have that in the back of your mind where you're already a pretty sad dude, it's, it's like that you could be die at any moment. You'd think that'd be invigorating or empowering like you see in movies, but really, it's just tough. You know what I mean? Because you, you have these symptoms of a disease that, that never shows up. Even when I did the interview for the Hollywood, when I was working for you at the Hollywood Half Marathon, I would have these, these like blood blisters that would show up on my legs just from standing. And, and the doctors didn't know why, and my legs would hurt, and I'd go numb, and, and all these things that were happening to me that I had to hide because that wasn't a part of what I was, you know, trying to put forward. Um, yeah, I tried at my dream. I left my corporate job when I was 29 years old or 30 years old because I said for a while I'd made a lot of money with, you know, big corporation telecommunications. That's not my dream. I want to go pursue acting. I tried, and I worked, and, and uh, I got into the, uh, you know, Screen Actors Guild. I did background, and I'd have something happen and then it wouldn't and then I'd have something happen. I'd see other people go forward and I'd stay optimistic, but I never broke. Another portion of, you know, kind of toughness there, right? So I'm still holding on to this dream. Eventually, uh, I decide to, you know, uh, ask my, my, my girlfriend then of, I think it was like eight years, to marry me. Am I going to turn this boat around? Yeah. I, my, I get a little bit of luck. I find out my mom is able to get this person who she, she's a teacher, who uh, was a member of Club 33 at Disneyland. To, to get me to go there for that day. Yeah. And, and I'm going to propose to my, my, my now wife, and she doesn't know anything about it. And Disneyland was important to us. And I'm like, I'm, you know, this is great. It admits all this stuff that they still thought I had disease. I'm like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to do this thing. F Strangely enough, because I did end up proposing to her at Club 33, 
That same day, I get a call from my doctor, and they're like, we got your blood results, and they're not good. The same oh, day. No. It's like, let me have this day. Yeah. That's what I was saying. Well, and then, just how much that throws off your mood. And, and I hadn't asked her to marry too. me yet, so I still had to go on the balcony at Club 33. I'm at Club 33, and all I'm thinking about is that I will marry this woman, but maybe I won't be around in six months. And... Uh, and so that was tough. So I, I asked her to marry me, and you know we we have a long engagement. You know it's hard to when you're sober and having this kind of life to to kind of uh, muster a, muster up enough energy to say I'm going to go have a day that celebrates life and my relationship. And it seems preposterous because that's expensive. That's you know that's that's it, you don't need it. And and, and there's a lot of reasons because life is tough. It, you know for everyone you see these picture picturesque weddings and it's like. I'm not saying all of them have great situations. Obviously, there's people who are worse off than me, but it's supposed to be this great day. It was hard for me to get to that point. So I decide one day, and I talk to my wife, and I'm like, I got I to gotta be able to release. I got to be able to relax. And, you know, maybe a cocktail will be that. You know, I remember even when I went out with you once, everyone was kind of drinking, and you were trying to get me to dance, and I was having a hard time loosening up, and it was because I didn't drink. So I'm like, I deserve some kind of break in my life. Maybe I've mastered this alcohol thing. So I start drinking again. And for a little while, I'm like, oh, my God. Got it under control. I, this, I nailed it. Yeah. I'm the one who figured out how to beat alcoholism. Look <laughs> right. at me. You know, and I'm like, I, it was at a really tough time in my life physically, uh, financially. And I'm like, finally, some kind of relief. Finally, I can break this insurmountable tension that's been coming over me forever. We end up picking a date to get married. I have enough emotional energy while I'm drinking. Even if I'm not drinking that day, mm -hmm. I'm like, the weekend will be good. Because when I was sober for those six years, it was like, today is the worst and tomorrow will be the worst. And that's just how it is. It's wow. never going to change. So, so, so like, how long of a period in your life was your default sadness, your default mood sadness? This moment from ever. You know what I mean? <laughs> what? Absolutely. Yeah. You mean like, like right now? Absolutely. I mean, I, I have so many great mechanisms and, and tools in my life. Uh, to prevent me from having that be um, evident. What started it though for you? Like when you started just feeling sad like that? Because you said earlier, uh, for a lot of people, there's a moment, there's something that happens in their life. Right. Have you like tried to so, define what that moment was? Right. For so you? I guess when I was saying that, it was the difference between depression and sadness. Yes. Sadness is something that happens, and then you're you're uh, you're sad because of that. In my case, depression was just it was ever present. One day I'm working with my wife and I'm walking to my shed and I don't, I mean, I got, I just got a flashback. I mean, that's how, how present this is for me. I didn't know where I was and I didn't know how I got there. And that, if you, people probably can understand that academically, but uh, to have that happen to you is terrifying in a way that I can't describe. It is like everything that happened to you in your life to that moment is gone for a second. Wow. And to just have your brain robbed of every piece of information you've ever had. And then it, it kind of went away. And I'm like, shit, what was that? And I tell my wife and, and I say, I don't, I don't know how I got where I was there. Go through my days, a couple of days later, I'm talking to her and she's using a word and I don't understand it. And she's saying it to me. And I say it like a hundred times, like, like you see in movies where someone's like shaking and saying the same word. And uh, obviously this isn't easy for me to talk, talk about. Um, I didn't know its meaning, but my brain's trying to figure out why I don't know its meaning. A couple of days go by again. And, and at this point, we've gone to the hospital. We went, we went to the hospital after this happened, actually. And the doctor says, haven't had a lot of great experiences with doctors, but he goes, oh, yeah, I'm sure you'll be fine. This will pass. You'll be fine. Don't worry about it. And my wife was, you know, aggressive about it. She's like, no, you don't understand. This, he's like not remembering. This is severe. Like, he probably shouldn't drive. 
because he's just losing information. He's not remembering how he got to a place. Ah, uh, you know what'll pass? Probably stress, right? Sends me home, gives me his business card from his other job. I'm like, all right, great. Um, I go home and I'm working with my wife. We're working on one of the car, a car we bought and we're just doing some work on it. And then uh, I have these tools in my hand. And again, it's hard because I have these flashbacks. Um, all of a sudden I'm in that moment and I don't know where I am again. And I don't know how I got, I don't even know what I'm doing. Like just, it's, it's, it's torn out of me. All the information that feeds you that normally gets you to walk down the street or know who your mom is, it's gone for a second. And then I'm kind of back, it's slower this time. But you know, I went to the doctor and he said, it's fine. So I just said, well, whatever, I guess I got to deal with it. And this is when it broke. I decided I'm going to go for a run. You know, I think we share that. And I'm like, I'm going to run. Maybe that'll work in and out. I'll get it out of my system. And, and the way I look at it now, it's like, how naive was I? You're not remembering things. You're going to go you running? That's know. brilliant, you, you, you moron. Lost. Right. So when I'm running, I start to forget where I am. And then being the uh, optimist that I am, I'm like, well, that could be good. Maybe I won't feel the pain. Maybe I can run forever. Maybe this is how I become the greatest runner of all time. I don't think, I, I won't, yeah, I won't feel my legs. That could be a huge advantage. <laughs> Then I start getting terrified and I'm still running. I don't know where I am. And then I start to lose information progressively. And, and I'm still running. And I, I, I don't recognize anything. But I, it's, it's like being a passenger brain. But even that doesn't describe it because <laughs> I don't think unless you've experienced it, or maybe, maybe someone can reson it resonates with them, but to be able to see that you are doing a thing that you are out of control of that is that physical is uh, anyway so i i keep running i end up finding i end up getting what they call and and combat veterans have this or combat uh people in combat have this it's called a there's it's a horrible name and they even said this at a hospital but it's called hysterical blindness where um something like uh, a limb is blown off or you you're in a high combat situation and you your optical nerves are working but you can see nothing so your brain is not uh, processing that are we good on time I'm sorry. Um, so your, your brain can see, I mean, you can see everything optically, but your brain is not taking any information. So I don't know what I'm looking at anymore. And I reach in my pocket like this, because I, I don't even know. And I'm like, I, I tell Surrey, I'm like, call Gina. And it takes me a long time to do that. And then I found a light pole, like I'm in the ocean, and hugged it. Wow. And I'm like, I can't leave this spot because, I mean, I just think I'm going to be torn away in oblivion to, to this to this place that my mind is going. Because again, this shows you profoundly in a way you can only learn through this or someone you've known who has Alzheimer's is that you might as well be in the middle of the ocean because everything you know or have ever known is being torn away from you. And, and so I'm in holding moments, this. moments though, you're it, on a run. Right, right. And you're only what, at that point, 35? Yeah, I'm young, I'm young, I'm, yeah. I mean, so, <clears throat> so I get my wife and I try and describe to her where I am and she ends up locating me through an app, thank God, and she finds me and I don't see her car. I hear her voice and it doesn't get less scary. I mean, it's mounting, right? So you're scared at first. One of the things that the doctor said to me later was that what was worse about my condition is that in Alzheimer's, they're not aware of that. So there's kind of an ignorance is bliss. I was watching my brain be torn away from me. I was seeing that I was, I'm like, what's gonna happen next? And I'm just fearing, you know, everything. She picks me up, she takes me to the hospital. I go to the hospital and I pass out in the, uh, in the emergency room. And uh, I wake up and I'm more forgetful than ever. And they take me and they don't know what's going on. Um, I've been there before, uh, but that doesn't help. 
And uh, that's when extreme paranoia just sets into me. I, I have, and it would with anyone because nothing I saw made sense. Everyone I saw was foreign. I knew that my wife was my wife, but I didn't know that she wasn't a part of it, which makes no sense, right? Like she's a part of it, but she even has some videos where it's like, <laughs> I'm yelling at her because I think that she's a part of the thing that's doing this just because whatever, whatever shred of primal intelligence I still have is lashing out to, to have this stop. And so she's it like, almost seems like a sick game to you. The, the, yes, but not that complicated. It's just like an animal backed in a corner. All I know is I must not have this happen. I must fight anything and I'm trying to fight. I'm trying to fight. And then some things happened that, that made me lose my faith. I, I, I had a moment where like my consciousness rolled in the back of my brain and I didn't see anything and I was just in blackness. And uh, I was conscious enough to know I was in blackness, but I felt and, and knew nothing. And that is akin to being in a coma and being aware of it, but not being able to wake up. And it was, you know, what people would think of as their worst nightmare, being buried alive. And, and I reached out, I said, God or whatever, come to me, help me, nothing. And, you know, I'm not gonna go into the philosophy or anything, I've had, I've had some awakening moments since my grandfather passed, but, uh, but at the moment I thought, this is it. I could be trapped in this eternity of not, of nothingness, except for knowing terror. Later, my doctors tell me that the only chemical that was being produced in my body was terror. Imagine that for so days. So you go from sadness to just to, just terror. terror. I mean, my sadness in my life was compartmentalized. I could go for a run and feel better. This feel. was pure, just the chemical of terror being produced in my brain. I, I it's, at some point I I try and wake up again. I pass out. They put the defibrillator uh, uh, chest piece on me, and you know they're they're having to monitor me to see if my I, I don't I don't even know how to go to the bathroom on my own. Uh, the doctor comes in and gives me the wrong prescription accidentally, which spikes my adrenaline. So he gives me, he gives me something for my ADD thinking he's not talking to the other doctor, spikes my adrenaline and makes me more terrified, more horrified than I even was before. What did they call the condition? Delirium. You know, they, was... they don't, they don't, when you, they gave me an EKG, an MRI, every test, cognitive test they could. They saw that there were issues, but they couldn't define it. And like I had had experience in my life before, one of the doctors was honest with me at one point in my life, and he said, this is why it's called practicing medicine. We don't have a definition for everything. I wanted, when I got out, to have, like, this is what it is, this is how you treat it. I, went, I remember when I went in the MRI machine, and that was scary enough, but I'm in this place where everything is terrifying, and then I have this machine going, clang, 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 bang, 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 and they're trying to get me to sit still. And I'm using every tool I ever had. I didn't even know how I got to that MRI machine. Anyway, eventually I know I have to get out of the hospital and I'm terrified. Um, I, my mom ends up taking me out and I remember a couple of key moments here. One of them was when I got in the wheelchair, I didn't know how I got there. But when I got to my mom's car, I know I got there either, but I said, how do I know I'm in your car? I don't believe this. I don't believe that I'm anywhere. And then when I got home, I was just staring. And, and I, asked, I asked, I think I asked my mom or my wife, I'm like, how do I know this, this is real? Which is, a, which is a question, trust me, you hope never to have to ask yourself. Yeah. Because I, I couldn't believe the reality in front of me because I had had my brain robbed of me. Um, then I'm home and I should be better and I'm not. I'm horrible, I'm in a terrible place. They haven't given me any medication or anything to help me. At one point I think maybe water will help. I go in the shower and my wife remembers this most clearly and she gets choked up whenever she talks about it. But uh, 
I'm wearing all my clothes, and I'm in the shower screaming at the top of my lungs trying to pass out so I can get some sleep because oh. I haven't slept ever in my brain. My brain keeps doing this. When I lay down, I start to get this tension. And this, this if you ever had night terrors or a nightmare, it's like that the whole time. And it's just, it's just stealing into me the whole time. I'm walking around my yard and- How long was it in the period? Months. Yeah, yeah. I mean, things like my, my wife and my mother had to take things out of the house. And, and again, this is very confessional. I don't know that I would have done it, but to make sure I didn't kill myself. And, 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 and it's one of those things too, where it's, it's if that was the rest of my life, yeah. not being alive would have been a treat. Do you know what I mean? Because mm. to have pure terror and pain every second of, I would say your waking moment, but I couldn't go to sleep. You would want anything to end, to end it. And, and you know, if anyone takes that away from the people who they've lost, I've lost friends to that kind of situation. And even though it's tragic and horrible, I mean, it wasn't necessarily what I went through, but if someone's in that much pain, and I was chemically, it wasn't even emotionally, it was like chemically. Eventually we ended up going to this hospital where it was more of a, and I can't tell you how much the, the, <laughs> the institution of health was not helpful in this situation. Again, why I'm so passionate about it is that. Uh, and in some senses, they didn't even really know what was going exactly, on. Exactly, you know, exactly. Right? And I mean, how are they supposed to just treat this one <clears throat> person? But I ended up going to a mental health facility. I remember at 37 or 38 years old, I had to hold a pillow. Well, no, forget that. My wife tried to get me there. And I panicked and tried to escape escape like from her car she tried to get me in the car and i freaked out and i started running and 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 i passed out and then and then her parents woke me up with water and then i tried to escape again i mean escape what your consciousness it's it was terrifying so eventually i got coaxed to go there i'm holding a pillow at 38 years old standing because i didn't want to sit down i don't know all the reasons for why i felt this way i can only react to it but i was terrified of everything and eventually they got me some massive antipsychotics which even even at this point it's like the stigma of all that is so hard to admit because it's like, oh, could you ever run for political office to do anything when you were put on antipsychotics? The, the humor in me says, if someone's like, hey, what are you, a psycho? I'd be like, yeah, clinically I am, I guess, because they put me on antipsychotics to get off this. Um, I was able to sleep for the first time that night when they put me on heavy, heavy drugs. And uh, then it was a rebuild for a year trying to... And there's still, the scariest part about it, and it'll inform hopefully my art at some point, whether it's comedy or whatever it is. To this day, there's a part of me that when I was flashing back earlier, and by the way, one of the things that was described to me by one of the therapists that I talked to was that uh, in this post-traumatic stress situation, it can't just be like the death of a friend or a family member, that's normal. Why it usually happens, people associate it with war, is that it's something so extraordinarily you know, catastrophic mm -hmm. that, uh, um, you do actually flash back into that moment because it's so permanently harmful to your brain that it's not like I'm remembering it. When I was telling that just now, I feel like I'm there again. Yeah. And, and, and that is, you know, it's, it's horrifying. But, uh, but still in the back of my head, I can go there, which is scary. It, you know, I'd like to say in a storybook situation, it's one of those things where uh, I'm a better person for it, right. you know? Uh, I can say that about a lot in my life. And if I was sitting here right now in my, you know, billion dollar mansion and being like, that's all informed by, that's how I discovered the Flubernaut and that's what I made this and now I'm a billionaire. One of the things that I was trying to do with the documentary I'm making is that I had to hold on to the things I had, hold on to the life I had that wasn't perfect and move on from where I was. This didn't turn into a storybook thing where I ended up, and ended up informing some great thing yet. I still have hope, but, uh, 
but I piece my life together, still having that fear, still having that anxiety. I'm sober again for a long time now, two years. And now my life is better. I'm, yeah. I'm more at peace with my sobriety. That's takes work. Uh, I'm open to opportunities. I'm, I'm healthier than I was. So are you, um, are you clearly past the delirium stages? Oh yeah, oh yeah. I mean, but the, the problem with that is question is, there, the problem with that question is this, and, and this is the thing that, again, informs who I am as a human. Am I over that is a question I get from a lot of people, and it's a question the doctors can't answer. So it could have been a mixture of chemicals, right? My antidepressants, my ADD medication, and something else. You know how they have all these things on pharmaceutical warnings where it's like, mm -hmm. may cause you, this is a thing that keeps you from killing yourself. It's antidepressant, and the first warning is, may cause you to commit suicide. Yeah. It's like, well, that seems like a terrible side <laughs> right. effect from something for a depressed person. It was one of those moments where they just don't know what the combination of things are. My assumption is, and the doctor's assumptions, the ones who I got to talk to, I didn't get to really talk to them afterwards, but I talked to other doctors, is that I can't go forward expecting that. Um, you know, genetically, I have certain markers when I did the test that are give me more of a propensity towards Alzheimer's. My grandfather had it, and and his grandfather had it, and my dad, you know, showed signs. He doesn't have it yet, but it's it's something that runs in the family. Certain idiosyncrasies show up, so I have to kind of fight that in my lifestyle. We don't know that that's what triggered it, right? No yeah. one does, yeah. but it does kind of make you moment focused. You know, I mean, you, you hear it, and it seems like a cliche, and and. Uh, it's great when it's an Instagram hashtag where it's like, live every day as if it's your last. That's great when you're like in the Bahamas, I'm sure. But when you're in like Chatsworth digging ditches or something, it's not as easy to go live each day like your last, you know, when you're, when you're, when you're taking out the, you know, the garbage or something. That's, when it's not glamorous, it's hard to live it that way. But it did make me realize or forced me in a profound way to appreciate the moment and the people who are in it because if that was a permanent condition for me, I wouldn't be with my wife right now. I wouldn't be with you right now. I wouldn't be talking to you. I'd be in a mental uh, hospital, you know, anxiously awaiting my death. Wow. And, and if it teaches me anything going forward, and this is my hope, <clears throat> and you've had this in your own experience when we were talking about race earlier, <laughs> it gives me a compassion in a way for that yeah. that is only relatable through experience. You know, when you see someone who's who's in seems insane on the street corner, who's homeless or something like that. And you go, if I didn't have the resources and the family I did and the support I did, I'd literally be you on could, a street talking yeah. to something that's not there. It's empathy, man. For yeah. You to be able to see people in that condition and, and understand that, you know, and you're right. You know, it's, there's certain things that sometimes we have to go through personally and, yeah. and it always makes me, feel like when we go through those things is there a higher purpose so like when you see people on the street with mental health conditions or um you know for you to be able to say you know whatever resources i have or whatever uh, ability that i get to help educate people on that i think even this is that right yeah this i hope so interview um for people to understand that when you see someone that lives out on the street like it could literally be that one moment yeah. just being you on a know. run like in your yeah. case and feeling like your mind is being taken away from torn, you yeah, torn away from at 30 something years old yeah that's great that could be any guy. of us a healthy guy too yeah, I mean, you I, know? when i had when my, i had my drinking thing too it was only I mean, for almost all of my life and and you've known me this way i've been in phenomenal shape i'm a distance runner yeah. and this was just a pocket where i was sad and they don't even know that it had anything to do with the alcohol. A lot of doctors don't think so. So that was just saying that my life was already in a tough position. That was kind of the setup. And then this thing happened. 
I could be obsessed with what caused it, but it's not going to give me the answers. So why? Why would I do that? Um, the empathy piece, one of the things I really want people to understand, and one of the things I was trying to say with my documentary is that sometimes those hard things don't turn into something you want. Hollywood and music and Instagram and Facebook say, just those hardships are going to make you that millionaire. They're going to make you that celebrity model. You're going to be a Kardashian, you know? It didn't do any of that for me. Right. I'm not famous. I'm not a millionaire. But I love my wife more. And you don't need to be famous or a millionaire to have a situation that sets you back to go, on a part, I hate to cuss, but holy shit, the things in my life that I took for granted, and man, what a cliche. Wow. I get to, you know, when I'm out in the sun, when I'm on a run, I experience nature in a way I didn't before because I'm like, it was blocked from me at one point. Yeah. One thing that my wife did say, and I remember this, when I was laying out in the sun one day, this was recently after I was starting to get some kind of semblance of understanding, but still, I would fall into these terror fits where I'd be like, oh my God, I'm not here, and I'd freak out and run around. I was laying out in the sun, and I was trying to do calming exercises and all this stuff, and my wife said to me, she said, you know, I'm like, is everything okay? I'd always ask her, am I okay? Is this okay? That was my line. I'd be like, is this okay? Is this okay? Is this okay? And, and she said, the birds are chirping. Everything must be okay. And that has stuck with me because it's the simplest thing in the world. But when I have anything that hard goes on with me, the loss of my grandfather, I didn't shed a tear. Because of the experiences I've had, I miss him. But when the birds are chirping, and, and I mean, I don't want to say more than that. Everything must be okay. I got air, you yeah. know, and there's animals out there. And, and, and that's the reason I stress on this, and, and I hope someone can take this away, is that <clears throat> not every tough experience in your life, <laughs> you know, every cloud has a silver lining. Maybe for some, right. you know, I mean, right. I went insane and I didn't become a millionaire. Yeah. <laughs> but the silver lining for me was, was not that glamorous. I think that it, it was that what you have no matter what, even if you're just sucking air and you're homeless, it's better than being insane and homeless. Yeah. You know, I'm sorry that I keep, and people ask me, are you happy it happened? No. I've gotten to the point in my life where I'm like, no, I wish I didn't have that happen. I wish I won the lottery. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't need an, another situation that made my life tougher. If it, if it helps people, great, but it was so tough that I wish it hadn't happened, but it did. And I, I, I don't, I can't change that. So I'll, I'll live with it and I'll go forward, put one foot in front of the other. It, 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 hopefully it helps other people, but for me, all it did is that say, no matter how hard things get, the fact that I'm still moving on this planet, another thing that happened is just my profound respect for this planet and the environment. I already had that, but even more so because yeah. stuff like breathing and being able to drink water becomes very, very special when you don't have that ability, when you don't know what water is, you know, it's, it's, it's a pretty, it's like being a baby in a minute, like going from knowing everything and knowing nothing and having to learn it again. And it's interesting that you, something that's really special is that I was thinking about you the other day when I was meditating and then moments later, and people think, oh, he's lying. Yeah, that's, that's malarkey. I know what I know. We and this could, is for we me. We could show people the text, yeah, the text. of how yeah. much of a coincidence I was. It I was, was working yeah. out and meditating and, and, and I'm like, I gotta get in touch with Ken. I didn't know why, but I've learned to trust my instinct because when you go through things like that and you can't trust your mind, which is just a collection of information. You know, I, I've learned to trust my instinct and my, what people call it, my gut a lot more because that's what got me out of it. You know, it wasn't my brain. My brain was the enemy. It was, it was the violator. It was trying to destroy me. When you texted me, I'm like, well, I didn't even question you. I had other things to do, but I'm like, I gotta see Ken. Yeah. Because, and that's interesting because that was a gift. 
I didn't have that before. I would have gone, well, what's he up to? What does he want? What should I wear? What should I do? Should I do this? Should I play hard to get? Should I charge him? All those things used to go through my head, right? Because yeah. that's how I was. Now I'm like, I know I have to see Ken. I was thinking about him. He hit me up. I can't wait. And that was it. And that's, so it's given me a kind of clarity and access to myself that I wouldn't have had before. Yeah. Has going through that experience of delirium helped you um, get past this default period of sadness because I like yeah. I feel like I want to yeah. help you with yeah, that so much else right um there is less of a underlying sense of depression and bleakness in the sense that there will always be a worse so when I wake up in the morning and I know who I am awesome yeah. The kids. Yeah. You guys don't have We don't children. have children. Thanks, yeah, Ken. Right? You just, now, now I have to have children, too. Gina, come in here. Yeah, Sit, yeah, yeah, let's yeah. bring Gina in yeah. here. Can you feel like jumping in on camera? Come on. Do you want her on? That's her no. choice. So, so kids, that's another thing. Kids, right? man. So, so, let me tell you got you got this yeah. beautiful wife. Like, like, I feel like... Isn't the world populated enough? <laughs> you're not going to have kids. But, now? like, they bring just so such joy to you. Ken, let me tell you something about that. This is why we're talking right now. Let me tell you something about that. And I was thinking when you were saying that, that Ken's gonna have a revelation here that's totally not gonna work for me. <laughs> and that's it. I, I don't, I don't, there are fears that I have about having children that, that are my own. And then my wife, you know, has her own reasons for not wanting to have kids. And I respect people who don't want to have kids. I respect people who have kids. I'll tell you what I think is special about, first off, if we went forward with anything, speaking or anything, is that you are so you that you see things through you. And that's, that's awesome. Yeah. I, I would love to wake up as Ken, dude. Wear a shirt that says, give me a hug. That's crazy. People might hug you, bro. I couldn't do that. I'd love to wake up like Ken. But here's what's going to happen to me. If, if we run into someone and someone's had a hell of a time and, and they are on the verge and they lost their job and they don't have any kids or they lost their kids, bro. I connect with those people. Mm. I connect with them. I've had, I've had three friends in the last year who've lost a parent. Okay. And the first call they made was me. And I get emotional when I say that. I don't know exactly why that was. I don't, I mean, they didn't even know my story as well as you. I just told you. But the first call they called was, what they made was me. One of them, his dad died, my friend, and he came over to my house right after. He just knew he had to walk with me. And I'd like to give you words that I gave them that made it okay for them. But it wasn't words. There was something else. For what you are and able to do, I can't and won't try because Ken's the best at that. But when these guys had something happen to them, I was able to put laughter in points that you would think would be inappropriate, but because I've you know, shed the same blood in the same mud, there's a kind of resonance and an energy that just draws those people to me. In those moments where those folks have come to me in the last year, I am so grateful I had happen what happened to me because thank God I'm there in a way that that was a gift that I have a capacity to help people. And I have no fear of talking to a person who just lost someone. Most people would. I'll talk to him about their, a friend of mine just lost his mother uh, two days before my grandfather passed. He lost his mother. His mother was 60 years old. And, and, and she, she went in, she was going on a trip uh, to Fiji. And uh, she went into the garage to get a piece of luggage. Fit lady, lived right near us, beautiful lady. I knew her for two years. We worked together, incredible woman. And she grabbed a piece of luggage, fell off the ladder, hit the ground, her brainstem was severed, and she died. And when I talked to my friend, we were able to connect on a level that I really don't understand. I really couldn't put into words. 
but he was able to talk to me and have a conversation about what just happened. Because sometimes life is like that, dude. And I mean, how would you counsel someone like that? Not mean you personally, but it's like, what do you say to that guy? Oh, well, this was great. It'll make you more of a, her, her significant other, this guy who was her uh, fiance for 11 years, very much a situation like my wife and I. They, they live in the North Valley. They loved hiking. They have a little dog. You know, they like going camping. They had all these trips. They were really enjoying their life, something I have learned to do because of the experiences I've had. And then it's over, you know? And, and for whatever reason, I had what happened to me. I won't guess. I'm pretty good at handling those things now. You know, it's, it's, it's a weird kind of, you know, I was raised Catholic. It's almost biblical. It's like walking a mile in someone's shoes or just going through the same thing. It's like, it's not words though. It's, it's, it's an energy. Just like I see you break up these fights and I'm like, why did someone not just punch Ken in the head? But you're doing something that's not able for us as primitive humans to understand, you know, not taking away from what humans have achieved, but let's be honest, we do some dumb shit, you know, um, you're giving these people something that when I watch the video, I'm not watching the words. I'm like, look at what Ken just did to that guy. He went from, I'm going to murder this dude to, and that's, that's, you know, hopefully I can do that for people who've gone through tragedy or not through tragedy. Maybe their life is that way. But I think that for anyone who's gone through anything, everything that you've done has brought you to here. And everything that I've done and gone through, a lot of the things in my life have been done to me, you know, um, have brought me to where I am. And, and maybe it's to do this, you know, but with me, the good thing is maybe it's not, and I'll still be okay, you know? And that's important because maybe this gets a trillion views and everyone's like, oh my God, look at them. They did this great thing. If it doesn't, if it gets one, I walk out of here with my wife and I love her tomorrow more than I did yesterday. I love our little dog. I don't have kids. I love our little dog. I love my wife. We live in an RV in her parents' backyard that I dug out of. They had a, a hill in their backyard. And I said, if I dig that hill out, can I live rent-free in your backyard? They're like, yeah, go ahead. I filled 10 tons with a shovel. I did. I've never told anyone this. I, I saw some of the posts ten of you tons. doing the I work. I moved 10 tons, 10 tons of dirt like to make my home. You came out um, a lot more fit yes, at the end exactly. of I can tell you were putting But, but here's, here's a guy who lives in an RV in his in-law's backyard telling you, who lost his mind, who isn't a millionaire, saying, it's okay if nothing happens. It's okay if you go leave today and you're like, oh, that Jed Dunlap, he's a kook. I don't need to see him again. It, it's okay because... I'm okay, and, and it's okay not to have everything turn into an amazing thing. Of course, you'll always want that, right? People who have a desire for whatever reason, and I don't know it, people who have that burning nature to just get their story out, some of them don't get to, and, and I, I've kept a journal every night since I was 13 years old, and, and that who knows what will happen with that, but even if it doesn't happen for anyone, I still get to experience this in a way that I don't, you know, that not everyone does. And, and it, I keep coming back to it, but it's just, I, I hope I'm speaking to that person yeah. who looks at celebrity, and I've been close to that and near that, and, and goes, wow, that'd be great. If you're sad, you're going to be sad when you're a celebrity. But yeah. So conquering this, where you are at this moment is better than the worst moment you ever had being good. That's something I really want to leave with them. Yeah. I think you should publish the pages of that journal that you've been oh, keeping man. since you were A lot 13. of it's angsty bullshit. You know? It's like, <laughs> oh, I hope this girl likes me from 1993. Some of it's insightful, but you know, the, the, the one of the hard things about that for a guy like me is that it's some of those pages, like the pages I filled after I started to have enough of information in my mind to fill those pages and, and tell this story. It's hard. Yeah. It's hard to look back at. You know, it's, it, was, it was cathartic. I needed to get my story out there even if it was just on paper, which is another thing I tell people. Maybe you don't need to be a great publisher, but you write that down, it's gonna have a different resonance in your heart. 
It's there's something about writing something down or putting it on film or taking a picture of it that disinfects it in a light. Do you know what I mean? It, it gives it it gives it something. It, it it's out of you now. You know, it's on paper. It's real. Once it's on paper, that thing that happened to me is real. Mm -hmm. And there's a power in that, even if I'm the only other person who ever reads it. So I'm glad you mentioned that. But uh, but yeah, if it got published, you know, that'd be great. If I ended up writing a book out of it, that'd be great. But then the main thing, the first thing that I'd have in a book would be like, you don't have to write a book to feel better, you know? Yeah. Um, and not everyone's me. Not everyone needs to have that kind of feeling of, of, of you know, having more of a platform or more of a voice or like what you do now with, with public speaking. Um, that's always been a desire of mine, and I haven't had it yet. But if I do or don't, I'll still be okay. Yeah. I, I think your story, even just now knowing more about what you were going through when I was just seeing the photos on social media, I can't remember if, uh, if Gina was posting some stuff or some of it was Probably yours. Probably not. She, um, she doesn't really use social media. <laughs> no. But, um, if she posted it, I posted it through her account. So really? That's <laughs> yeah. so, um, narcissism. So I can't remember. Whatever it was that I saw during that period, I was like, oh, man, I... I don't know what he's going through, but at some point we need to connect. But then it seemed like everything was okay. And then, you know, you're, I remember seeing you digging up stuff in, in the backyard. The backyard. Yeah, 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 I didn't yeah, know yeah. what any so, of that was about. And then your fitness journey, and I yeah, was yeah. like, okay, he's okay. But then now, even as I'm like trying to document more of people's experiences and connecting with people, I was like, I need to find out what was going on. It's amazing that you felt that way because out of the thousands of people I know, you were the only one who reached out. You're the only person who ever asked me to tell this story. You know, everyone else, and I shouldn't say everyone, that's that's an overgeneralization, but one of the things that's hard about social media is a lot of people owned that story about me as... Uh, Just what it was, what they saw in Right, the or they took, you know, egoic pride in the fact that they, oh, my hearts and prayers, are, you know, my, my hearts and prayers, my thoughts, thoughts and prayers, prayers are with you, and they reposted it, pray for Jet. I didn't ask for that, you know. Um, I wasn't aware of that, and and I, I try not to do that, you know. And I'm not I'm not judging people on that, you know. For them, maybe it's sincere, good for them, but uh, but no one remembered or cared after it was over, you know. And that's that's a lot of people's struggles in life, right? And and I you know I I put one foot in front of the other, and I'm okay. So I mean, I think that's another lesson though for folks who don't have that savior come in. I didn't, and and I turned things around, and I actually got better than I've ever been health wise and marriage wise and all that stuff on my own. So it's possible. Um, but you finding me at this point. You know, that's tremendous. And, and I've come to a place, too. It's, it doesn't feel like a coincidence to me. <laughs> I, you know, it's so funny, Ken. Even now, I, I get scared of saying things I want because I've because so much of that has not come true in my life that I fear that even saying it and having it not come true will be another point of depression in my life. But when I want to just say what I feel, and you, you've got me very honest again today, is that uh, this coming after that forgiveness moment in my life feels like the energy that I'm putting out there, whatever it is, made me available to be this honest with you. Because if you had asked me this months ago, maybe you wouldn't even have thought of me, but if you had, a lot of this stuff is, you know, this isn't cool. This isn't me showing off my abs, man. This isn't showing off my cars and look at me, my life's perfect, bro. My wife's beautiful, check it out. That's not that, this is, this is gritty stuff, you know? Um, but I have to do it just saying that there's a reason for it that I don't get to know. Yeah. I, I think, one, it's going to help a lot of people. Uh, I think it also helps you with getting this off your chest. I think it helps your wife being able to listen to these yeah. things. Um, I know for me, 
even just listening to your entire experience, I'm like, whoa. You know, yeah. and and uh, it's a very public therapy session, <laughs> right? I feel the like price is right. the, the helper in me yeah. is like, I need to help right. Jet. Like, what, right. what's going on, and and trying to figure that out. But I, yeah. I think really cure me, right? But there's probably so many other people there are that deal with this sort of stuff, and now more than ever because even in the pol the political world that we live in right now, I feel that tension, and people who are susceptible to this more like me, it's. The friends of mine who I have, and even family members who are inherently depressed people, the fact that so much hard stuff is going on globally, yeah. and that every day feels like bad news in the world and bad news in your life, yeah. and even if it's good news in your life, there's still bad news in the world, that's tough, dude. Yeah. And Do you realize that word even that you said, inherently depressed people, like that... Even just that idea yeah. blows my mind. That's man. beautiful that you don't understand that, like, bro. It's, that's crazy, that's right? Great. Because, I mean, for me, coming through homelessness and a broken home and all yeah. of these things that you I could still, say happen, you were still alive. every single day, I'm like, yo, there is something good well, you know that's going to happen that? You know what's interesting about that? Is that depression really is that homeless situation you can't leave of the mind. It is, it is a closed room where... The you know this this sadness it, it, it doesn't it it can't be escaped it can be coped with it can be managed and you can have an incredible life which I've been blessed enough to have incredible moments in my life and I look forward to my forties you know even though my thirties and my twenties were tough and my childhood was tough my forties that's gonna be it I remember <laughs> saying this when I was twenty nine too I'm like oh man it's gonna my be all ice cream and lollipops from now on and it wasn't it wasn't but. But what's the other choice? That's, that's, that's the other thing. But I also did things in my life that were so hard. Forgiveness, stopping alcohol, you know, deciding to marry someone when I had decided a long time ago, I'll never get married. I don't have that emotional capacity, you know, just because of bitterness, dude, because I, I you know, I'm more honest, my parents' marriage wasn't exactly happy. So I said, hell with that. They weren't happy in their marriage. Why should I be happy in my marriage? Maybe the title of marriage will make me unhappy. So I'm afraid of that, right? People have their own scars. So in that trap of, of sadness that is with you always because you can't leave it, I can't leave my brain. I almost did, and that wasn't pleasant. Um, to but how, not do you, have how do you know no one cares? Or why well, would I mean, you if it no is, it's cares. like three people, you know, and most of them are the people I send it to directly. I, don't, I, don't I even write. I've wrote essays on this stuff, and, and most of the people won't read it. I would bet you'd be, you'd be surprised to know how many people are going to watch this discussion i'd be i'd be happy to be surprised you know i'd be very happy to be surprised i think people, i'm ready to be surprised there's yeah. going to be a good amount of people that will watch it to the end there and they're going to say you know what i've struggled with those things i can empathize or sympathize with the situation that he's going through i really think it's going <clears> to <throat> and, and the main reason why i think it's going to help people is because there are some people like myself that i can say i don't understand mm -hmm. i don't understand how someone's okay. default position can yeah. be depression or sadness right. I don't understand yeah. and so to hear it from someone who is able to speak about it with such passion that like you know when we first started the interview and you made the comment about uh, would you say I'm just if someone posted on social media I'm sad right and yeah, we laughed yeah. about yeah, it yeah and to me it was funny because it's so not real right yet knowing to some people and even after and hearing your story yeah. I'm like wait it's real yeah. That's a serious thing because initially, it's funny because I know if I'm picking on my brothers, uh -huh. <laughs> my brother's going to post on social media, I'm sad. I'm going to uh -huh. call him and clown him. Right, like, what do you mean you're yeah. sad? Right? And it's not going to be a, um, and people would expect, 
from the hug guy right. that it's going to be, hey, right, man, right. what are you going through? No, I'm going to be like, what are you doing, man? What are you? Well, you hit something very powerful uh, and, and important that I didn't even mention, which is that I, I would have the same reaction to you. If one of my friends did something like that, I would, I would go over and I'd make fun of him. You know, one of the things that people know about me is my comedy. I've done comedy forever. So it's like I, I have that same sense of humor. I make fun of a friend of mine. A lot of that, though, and this is the scary thing that maybe will resonate with people that I didn't think about until you said this, is that as a, you know, dude, as a, as a guy who, who grew up in the same area as you did, being tough and being the funniest or talking the most trash, all that stuff, it is even less okay for me for to sure. have emotions. For Get sure. ready for this. And this is really weird. Because Trump is president, a white guy who's going through this stuff when I went through it while he was president, it is not okay for a white guy to be anything but to know he's privileged by being a white guy. Mm. The pain I go through every day, what am I going to do? Go complain you know, to someone right. who's going to be like, oh, that six-foot-one white man with his beautiful wife has problems? Right. Boo-hoo! <laughs> you know, he looks like a Trump supporter. That was what the beard was, dude, <laughs> is that it's like I didn't want to tell anyone because it's not okay for me to feel that way. Imagine what that does, though, to someone who's depressed. Yeah. Imagine someone who's depressed who has all those feelings, but a young lady says it, and everyone's like, oh, my God, let me help you. You, you know, I have cousins or relatives who are you know, female, and it's like the world reaches out to them. No one wants to see a little lady who's sad, a young yeah. lady who's sad. But if a dude who's six foot one who has a beard who does you know epic marathon kind of stuff and climbs, I'm climbing the tallest mountain in the U.S. this weekend. And holds I, shows. And right, holds shows. Wife. And if he admits yeah. it, it's like... Come Shut on, up. I don't care where attention. he lives. He deserves it. He yeah. was born with a silver spoon in his mouth. Forget the fact that you and I are from the, from the same neighborhood. Same, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. Right? But if you told that story and you're like, you know, I was from South Central and I'm like, I was from Crenshaw and I used to go to Raider games and see guys get like beaten to hell. I saw yeah. a car get caught on fire. I saw my grandfather held up by gunpoint. I saw my dad get held up by knife point. I used to get the shit beaten out of me every day. No one wants to hear it because but, I'm privileged, but you know Ken, what? Because I'm no, privileged. People wouldn't believe that we even come from those neighborhoods, not. right? Of course like not. Like, Ken grew up in South Central Los Angeles, right. and Jet came from Crenshaw. Yeah. They're not going to assume that because we've we've risen out of those situations. Right, uh, right. We, um, it, it's almost like people have a perceived look or a perceived... That That's they, a problem. Right? Or a perceived um, accent that they assume we should speak with because we came from these areas and so because we don't speak that way boom automatically they say oh they're privileged you know how many well, people will say i'm privileged or even yeah. more so for you oh right? but also i can see people being prejudiced against you because you're so happy they'd be like well ken will never understand anything because he's always happy he's always he doesn't have anything going wrong with him but you've had times in your life where things are tough oh man and you know in your childhood sure. was one of them being oh, vulnerable isn't easy yeah. but it's how you make a real connection you yeah. know and that's why this wasn't on social media until someone of quality came over and asked me this question sincerely, you yeah. know? And that's an amazing thing, too. People know someone forever, and they won't ask them what's going on. And everyone will go, oh, well, someone else probably did. You're the first person to ask me wow. this, you know, in this kind of capacity. Yeah. You that's, know? And, and I think, yeah, people do constantly make that assumption that, that this person... They've come out of it, they're okay, you yeah. know, and, and they leave it alone. And, you know, it was always strange for me, and it was always in the back of my head. And I was like, I don't think it's a phone conversation because Jet right. and I haven't been that close to just, you know, if yeah. I would have just picked up the phone and been like, yo, Jet, I saw your yeah. post, what's going on? Hey, bro, I heard you were crazy. You're not crazy <laughs> no. Hey, I saw you in the hospital, right? And then it, I, I felt like you would have just given me a really surface answer. And sure, we could have had this conversation off camera, but um, for you to be able to help other people... Um, I think there's a lot of power in that. I think that there's a lot of people that are going to benefit from this. Here's this beautiful thing mm -hmm. 
that can give raw information to everyone without having to have a network. Right. You and I are not on NBC yeah, right yeah, now. Yeah. We're not having a special on HBO, mm -hmm. but people can hear this. That's great. Yeah. Here's just two guys who are real people who don't have that, and we're not clouded by all the stuff that happens when you get to that point. That's beautiful. So it is this double-edged sword, yeah. you know? Yeah. And that's and what the I'm people saying. that will look for it, they'll, they'll find it, right? I because hope so, yeah. we do know that it's, it's the foolish stuff. It's the, it's the girl twerking. It's the guy uh, um, jumping off a building and breaking his that leg. That's what's going to go viral, right? Yeah, but it's, yeah. it's going to be a conversation like this that can like, genuinely help people to the core of who they are. That It's not going to get those views yeah. that those people will get. I appreciate you doing that too, Ken, because I think what we can do here is spark something for someone who doesn't have a spark, especially people who are like me, who've tried and tried and tried and not had something. Or, or you know, people that, that kind of understand that we've come to, you know, just in your not having that experience, not understanding a prevailing mood of sadness. I want to be able to ignite someone, something in someone that, that gives them energy, that gives them hope. And, <laughs> and what's incredible is that, again, the unfettered access to that, but that, uh, that they also can have a voice at this point in time yeah. if they need to tell their story. And I want them to know directly that it doesn't matter who you think it gets to, who, who, who it doesn't get to, just telling your story if you need to is a beautiful thing. Absolutely. You know, maybe it's just to someone else. Maybe it isn't even on camera. Maybe it's not even writing. But there's, there's a disinfecting, there's a, there's a cathartic feeling to be able to get those things off your shoulder that you want to. And in my case, it's very public. It took a long time for me to be able to do something like this. This has been beautiful, Ken. Thank, Thank you so you, much man. for having Absolutely. me. Absolutely. I'm going to get that yes. free hug. I'm going to bill you for mine, but uh, <laughs> I'll on. take that free hug. I'll, uh, I'll look forward to that. Thanks, Ken. Thanks for listening to this episode. Make sure that you guys, you go out, you go hug as many people as possible, even if it's just one person that you hug today. It could change your life and theirs. That's the cool thing about hugging is that you can't give a hug without receiving a hug. So uh, if you think that it's difficult to do, and make it easy on yourself, go to the Free Hugs Project website, go pick up one of the Free Hugs shirts and wear that around town, wear it to school, wear it to work. I guarantee you're going to get some hugs or at the very least, you'll get some people that are going to smile at you. It's a great conversation starter and it supports the work that we do here. So thank you.